Howdy, everybody. It's David of Battleship Retention um, uh, alongside uh, my co-host. Tyler Smith. Yeah, yeah, that's that's your name. We don't uh, officially have a format for this yet, so I'm yeah, not quite sure what yeah. uh, is expected of me. Uh, but if I if I pause after saying my co-host and I gesture to you with an open palm. My first thought was like, yes, I am here. <laughs> okay. Um, and we're doing another uh, movie journal. It's been a while. Um, and it, I'm not sure when we'll be doing another one. Just scheduling is uh, not working out uh, quite right. But um, we're going to catch up on everything we've seen. Everything of note that we've seen since yes. the last uh, the last movie journal. So I guess I think I have more than you do. Yes. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start. And I am going to say, uh, I think you saw this. I finally, finally caught up with the Lego movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I thought it, I thought it was, um, it, it might be the best action movie of 2014. Okay. <laughs> uh, it had uh, laughs galore. And uh, I, I liked a lot of where it's brain and where it's heart were. You have some reservations, I take it? I did not love the Lego movie. I liked a lot of it. And I actually, well, okay. Um, I actually just wrote uh, an article about it for a website that I, uh, will not specify because it's political in nature and, uh, specifically the song, everything is awesome. And I think that's an amazing song. Okay. Uh, and I think the film has some really interesting things to say politically, strangely enough. I don't think that's strange at all. It's Um, pretty clear. Yeah. And so, uh, but uh, so I, I think there's a lot of and anytime it's building the world, I love it, especially like the first 10 minutes. And it, it's it's showing that like we, it's like, oh, we walked into the Lego movie and th- this is a weird fascistic uh, <laughs> yeah. world. And it's and I thought that was great. Once the story kicks in, I think it's I think the story is fine. I still think some of the jokes are good. Uh, the, I'm not even going to say the twist ending, but the, what everything turns out to be, right. uh, I, th- I, 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 which saw, I had spoiled for me, but I didn't, I, I, I still quite liked it. I saw early enough that I didn't have it spoiled, but I did, uh, I thought that was coming. Um, okay. and I still, and that's fine. Pre- if something's predictable, that doesn't bother me, but, and I don't think it's necessarily predictable. I just no, happened to in predict retrospect, it. There is a hint. Yeah. Early on. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so. I do think it's, uh, but that's an interesting development and I actually like it a lot. Um, so I don't, I don't hate the movie, but, uh, I don't quite embrace it as much as, as other people do this year. Okay. But you really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Like a top 10 movie. It's not top 10. No. Like it's been getting some screenplay awards, uh, from like some critics groups. That's fun. Yeah. I like that. And you know what? Even if I don't agree, I like that they're thinking outside the box. (laughs) So, all right. What else? Or are, are oh, we going to uh, jump to me? Uh, well, I get. I, I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, I saw, and again, because it's been a while since we did one of these, uh, I'm going back a ways. Uh, I saw Exodus, Gods and Kings. Okay, let's talk about it, because I've also seen it. Yeah, and you can hear me talk in depth about it over at More Than One Lesson, um, where the companion film perhaps unfairly was Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, and, uh, it is unfair. Yeah, and I find uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings to be uh, wanting uh, compared to Lawrence of Arabia. Um, it's a film that I thought, I liked the spectacle of it. I like how many, I like the practical sets and the costumes, and I think it really does a good job of bringing you into that world visually. 
the script is a mess uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I, I, I think the acting is all really good, but there's just no, nothing character-wise there. And whatever story elements work, they... I feel bad saying this. They, yeah, they worked in Gladiator. Like, there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of Gladiator in there. Yeah, I, I've uh, I, I didn't think of that when watching it, but I've read other people comparing it and making specific points specific yeah. points since then, and realized, yeah, there is a lot. There's a bunch. Um, but uh, you say the acting's good, and I feel like it's not the actor's fault. But I, to go back to what you're saying about the screenplay. I feel like you can see the actors just sort of floundering around for something to grab onto Absolutely. at certain points. Because Ridley Scott is so preoccupied with the yeah. visual uh, elements of it. that uh, I mean, One of my major complaints in the movie is that I feel like to Ridley Scott, the crux of the movie is the plagues, uh, that extended sequence. Absolutely. But the... It's. I mean, that's got to be like twenty five minutes where the characters are all but disappeared, like all but gone. I mean, uh, Ramses is in that stuff, but it's not. It's a, he's all he's just reacting. Yeah. Uh, Moses is barely even present during the plagues sequence until the end of it when it comes yeah. back in. Uh, I find that to be the most problematic part. Even if I fully understand that and and, and concede that some of those some of the imagery is really powerful you know the the nile filling with blood or yeah. the the storm of uh hail and fire like yeah. that's really cool looking stuff but i'd really feel like that's uh, i was watching it going i think this is why really scott wanted to make this movie yeah and it's one of those things that like you know uh so one of the things that we we mentioned on more than one lesson is that the way in which they deviate from like the 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 account of Exodus in the Bible, uh, it bothered me not because I'm a Christian, but because part of me is like the the source material in this case is actually more dramatic, uh-huh. and it the source material it like I'll use the term character the source material is actually checking in with the characters uh-huh. more often than the movie, you know like we're dealing with plagues like horrible. Uh, supernatural things are happening and you're going to do that in a montage where we're not getting the emotional right. impact on these characters. Although, you know what? I'll, um, <clears throat> though I like you and Bremner. I like, I like, <laughs> yeah, I like that he showed up. Yeah. His character's um, name is simply expert, which I love. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, when I, the screening I saw, I had a Q and a afterwards with Christian Bale and Joel Edgerton. Oh, interesting. And, um, no, I haven't revisited the source material, but um, Joel Edgerton, uh, as far as Ramsey's goes, kind of said the opposite of what you just said, that he was glad the screenplay invented some stuff because he felt like Ramsey's in the Bible, his character is just someone who says no all the time and you don't necessarily get his motivations. Well, and I actually, they 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 layered on some stuff about Ramsey's and, and his son and like his relationship to his father. I think that worked really well. That's a very, that's, that's a, a motivation that Hollywood can like get its, that like, a, that's a very standard thing that Hollywood can get its teeth into. And we can all understand that. And I so I also like his relationship with his wife, um, played by Indira Varma, who played Ilaria Sand on game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't get much with his wife. Um, I, this could just be because you were paying attention, liking her previous work and therefore yeah. maybe projecting more uh, character onto her character. Yeah, it was. Um, and here's the thing. I liked Joel Edgerton's performance quite a bit. I didn't think there was a lot to the character, but um, but everything having to do with his son. And then, of course, the, the death of the firstborn, like that's a big deal. And that landed emotionally for me. 
and so much of the other so much of the movie didn't um but i you know as expected i liked it visually um and so, and and some of the plagues montage is strong and powerful um and, and some of it's a little silly too of course i think like coming up with like trying to scientifically explain like from point a to point b how one plague leads to another yeah um seems a little forced especially the initial the the sequence that leads to the nile filling with blood is uh, i didn't care for it well <laughs> and it's one of those things that like it's uh, I, i'm quoting myself on uh, this is the only way i can think of to say it uh-huh. <clears throat> there was an episode of the simpsons many years ago where I think the character's name is Cecil. He's uh, Sideshow side Bob's brother. Okay. Played by, voiced by uh, David Hyde Pierce. And, um, oh, right, right, right. And he tells a story in which he said, Bob wanted to go to Italy. I wanted to go to France. We settled on Spain, satisfying no one. <laughs> and I feel like it's a film that is, like, they want to make it for, you know, it, it was clearly made because of, because of, like, they're trying to capitalize on, like, a Christian audience. Uh-huh. But then they're also trying to do this weird explanation thing. So it's like, okay, well, we don't, we're not doing one completely. We're not doing the other completely. We'll meet in the middle, satisfying no one, making a movie that nobody wanted. Yeah. Or at least uh, a, a movie Scott. that, what was that? Except for Lee Scott. And I'm, I find myself curious to know exactly how much he wanted to make it. Or I think some of the stuff that, that we've been talking about, I think that's him trying to make source material that he's doesn't find that interesting him trying to make it interesting for himself. Okay. So, uh, well this, speaking of the Bible, this will be a nice segue into my next one. Which, all right. Uh, a lot of this is me catching up on the year stuff. Actually, that's all. I don't have any older movies on this. This is all okay. 2014 movies that I'm catching up on or seeing new, uh, anyway, but I finally saw Noah. Oh, okay. And, um, I, Somehow, as my, I, I may have gotten spoiled for the Lego movie. <coughs> Somehow, I completely missed the boat on what Noah was. I had oh, okay. no idea it was this weird sci-fi take on the Bible where they have where there's like in, like industrialization. There's like yeah. r- rusted pipes all over the place. And the thing, my wife was like, "You're too hung up on this." But the thing I can't stop thinking about is their clothes. Yeah, and the fact that they're like tailored clothes. Yeah, and I'm just trying to figure out like, do they have like like shirt and jacket and dress forms that they're making. Are they making their own clothes? Cause they seem to be the, like no one, his family are like, uh, you know, agrarian. They live away mm-hmm. from the city, but they must, do they go into the city to buy these clothes? Uh, like I'm obsessed with the clothes, like those boots you can't just make, <laughs> right? They're not, they're not just wrapping animal pelts around their feet. Like those are like boots with like, soles and like yeah. uh, uppers yeah. uh which is a shoe <coughs> term um like i i got so hung up on the clothes and where they came from and that's probably that is a vi- failing of that's very unlike you i think to latch I, onto that i don't think it kind of thing uh i've talked to this before and i think we could do a whole whole episode on almost anything but um there there are two things about Noah we could do an episode on we could do an episode on nitpicking because Which I would like to. I um, am incredibly guilty of nitpicking in movies I don't like. Okay. And I tend to uh, gloss over that kind of stuff in movies I do like. I, yeah. I had no <laughs> nits to pick about Cloud Atlas. Right. Even though there are plenty. But I loved it, so I don't care. Interstellar, 
I'll talk forever yeah. about why they chose to go to that planet first when, like, logistically, it makes the least sense. Yeah. Of the three destinations they have in mind, why do they go to that one first? It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. But we're not talking about Interstellar. Um, but uh, so I tend to get – and so maybe because I didn't uh, – the other – the other thing, the other topic that I want to do, uh, if we haven't already done this episode, I feel like we might have, but I, I don't think we have, but uh, ambitious slash respectable failures. And I feel like that's what Noah is. I have a lot of respect for it. And there are things in it that I think are brilliant. Yeah. Um, but overall, I don't think it's successful, especially the first half or so. The the uh, the antediluvian part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Um, didn't care about most of that. Um, and I hate that, uh, I, I, I hate that, uh, Noah, who again is like a shepherd or a farmer or something, even though the land they live in looks like the least fertile place in the world. So I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how they get by. That's not important, but also he knows Kung Fu or something. I hate that so much yeah. that he like can fight and he's like throwing spears at guys like he's uh, Gerard Butler in 300. <laughs> like, I, I hated that stuff. Um, and I was so weirded out by the rock monsters, um, the, the watchers, I guess they're called. Uh, yeah, but it's become pretty, pretty accepted that we just call them rock monsters okay. now. Yeah, um, I, I, I didn't really like that, although I liked the the voice cast of the rock monsters mm-hmm. is like all famous people that I didn't recognize until I saw their names in the credits. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think who all it is. It's like, I Frank cannot Langella, recall. I think. I think so. Yeah. And like Kevin Durand, I think maybe that sounds familiar. Uh, There's a lot of, a lot of cool names. Um, anyway, but once, um, once the flood hits and the movie changes a lot of, in, in, in its tone and pacing, yeah. I really enjoyed the second half of the movie. And I mean, uh, the, you know, one of my favorite websites, the AV club, uh, put on their list of best scenes. And did you see that list? But instead of, but before they did best movies, they did best movie scenes. I believe. Yes. And okay. the explanation montage of the ex- explaining the creation of the world over the seven days is unbelievable. It's, it's great. so great. Uh, it's the highlight of the movie, but there's also a lot of stuff in that second half that I really, uh, really enjoyed. But uh, overall, I think it had lost me too much in the first half to completely recover. Um, and so I would consider it a very respectable failure. Uh, it worked for me for the most part. I do not think I think it's I think it's a flawed film. Um, but I did. I, I thought that the I got a sense of the world and just the savagery of it. Uh, not apparently not primitive because I mean they got those clothes, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but just the the savagery of it as embodied by Ray Winstone's character, and I thought he did a great job. I thought the acting all around was pretty great, um, mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah, it worked for me for the for the most part. Uh, okay, I'm uh, fine with moving next on. For years. <clears throat> um, let's see here. I will jump to Into the Woods. Oh, that's next for me, too. So why don't we just count it as one of yours since I have more Fair enough. than you do. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, it's getting fairly good reviews. It's getting like bees. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll jump. I'll go ahead and say that's about where I'd put it. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot more than I disliked it. Yeah, I give it a, probably a C plus. There are moments that work. There are performances that work. Uh, but I found it to be remarkably flat. Um, I just, and I think some of it has to do with like when I think of Rob Marshall, which I, I don't very often, but w- 
Chicago is a movie that I didn't like that much and have grown to respect and actually oh. respond to quite a bit. I don't think I've grown at all. Um, I, still don't, I still don't like it. I just, it, at the very least, I think there's a vitality to how it is put together. Um, and that I thought was lacking in this film with a couple with a couple of musical numbers here and there and again a couple of performances um but for the most part it just seemed to sit there it didn't seem to like welcome me in to the to the film and i i got the feeling of like and you can see all this in my in my uh review which somebody apparently was deeply depressed by um yeah yeah, isn't that weird and so um the uh you know it's it's a very the the production design is gorgeous the costumes and makeup are really gorgeous. Visually, it's really, it's theoretically really interesting, but the way it is shot and edited, I feel like there's no depth to the woods and I've, or, or the world. And I feel like I should feel that. Uh, I, I will agree <clears throat> that it is not, it is not especially filmic. Yeah. Which I, seems, I feel like Rob Marshall, but I've never liked his movies. Well, I didn't see nine. I didn't like Chicago. Did he do Memoirs of a Geisha? He did. Yeah, that's not, that one's not very good either. I didn't, I didn't see um, that. I didn't see Nine. I saw Chicago and I saw the fourth Pirates movie, which is pretty oh, good. which I didn't see. Um, uh, and I, but I feel like there's, like in a lot of his, there's just not a lot of director's flair. There's, there's nothing very distinguished about his There's certainly nothing direction. authorial. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to say it. Um, but I said, I said this to you uh, off mic a uh, week or two ago when I had first seen it, that... I might be responding just because I'm not, I wasn't familiar. I I knew of into the woods, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know the story and songs already. Okay. And so I might be liking the movie just because I like Stephen Sondheim a lot. And it's sort of like the, the allegory that I have used is if, if a person had somehow never heard of rock and roll music Mm -hmm. and had never heard a single rock and roll song, right. Um, or anything approaching it. Yeah. And you played them George Thorogood and the destroyers. Yeah. They might be like, wow, this is mind blowing. I didn't know yeah. music could be like this because they don't know that it's hack. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I guess I'm offending any George Thorogood, uh, uh, fans, but, uh, they don't know that that's, they don't have anything, any frame of reference. So I might be liking into the woods, the movie, just because I didn't know that into the woods, the musical was so good. Uh, yeah, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's that in the same way that, you know, I, liked the movie the giver because i'd never read the book and some of the stuff especially the world building i thought i actually responded to quite a bit and that music but like but yeah it's uh yeah it might be that and i and maybe it's because i'm i'm fam- and i'm not even that familiar with this musical i know some of the, i knew some of the songs but um but What's just your favorite song <clears throat> the one i left humming was the last midnight that's a, i like I don't know the names of any. Well, I know Agony. I enjoy that one. The two <laughs> yeah. prin- the, the, it's not two princes. That's that's by the Spin Doctors. But um, the uh, the one where they're all blaming each other, I liked a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, I can't remember. I can't remember uh, the other ones. And, and you know, I I actually do like the uh, the Wolf song. Um, yeah. And then I like Little Red Riding's, Riding Hood's song in which she's uh, talking about, like, I know things now. Yeah, which is um, right after that. That's one, actually yeah. one of my favorite songs, too. Um, okay, a couple things. You mentioned you like the performances. Do you have a favorite? I'd go with Tracy Ullman. I think she was the best. Favorite performance. You know what? I gotta, I gotta say, I don't remember her name. Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, I don't remember her I name. I thought she was... She, I think she captured 
the tone that the film should have, which is it's a bit knowing, but still completely committed. Um, and it's self-aware without being self-conscious. And it's just like, it is like, she managed to walk that line perfectly. Whereas I think a lot of the other, I think Emily Blunt does a great job too, by the way. Um, and just, uh, but I think probably that, uh, yeah. that actress. Yeah. You're right about Emily Blunt. I think there are certain, I've talked about this in the show before. There are certain actors who are so good so consistently that sometimes I forget to comment on it. Yeah. Uh, I've never not liked Emily Blunt. So I guess yeah. I'm just, uh, taking that as, as read. Um, one other thing I want to talk about, and I, again, neither you and I, you or I, have seen this on stage, right? But you and I have both looked up. What are the differences? What do mm-hmm. they change? Um, and I feel like what's there are some things that they really did cut out altogether. There's a character death that they just yeah. completely um, they they completely left out. But in a way that if you know that it's obvious because there's no character resolution in yeah. the movie, they literally just like ended it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but there's other stuff that I think, and maybe this is just because I've seen enough Hayes Code movies, okay. that I feel like it's there, even if it's not literally there. Right. Um, and I, I don't want to get into spoilers. I know, you know, a lot of people haven't, the movie just came out two days ago. A lot of people haven't seen it yet. Um, but the, the song between Red Riding Hood and Johnny Depp, yeah. um, from what I understand, it's, uh, because it would be weird because it's, it's actually a little girl. Yeah. Um, it's a much more overtly sexual song on the, in the state on the stage. Yeah. And I feel like I got that. I got that. That was, I got that. I got that, that an undercurrent was there. I didn't, I, I wish someone else had played the wolf. I I've, I would like to do an episode <laughs> at some point about like, how is it that Johnny Depp has become boring? I uh, find yeah. him remarkably boring at this point. Um, and then, I think someone else could have done more with that song. Um, but then there's another, there's another thing, and I won't leave. I'll leave names out of it. But we're two characters, I guess. In the play, it's very overt that they have sexual intercourse. Yes. Not, and in the movie, they just kiss. Right. But I felt like it was so heavily implied that that's what happened that it didn't bother me at all. That it didn't actually. You didn't actually see them taking their clothes off or or anything. You know, you see them kiss. It cuts to another scene, and when it comes back they're both standing up and adjusting their clothes. Like to me, it seemed very overt that like, this is what has Hmm. happened. Um, and that didn't bother me at all, but you had a different. Yeah. I just, I, I not, not being overly familiar with the play. I saw that they were kissing and, um, and I thought like, okay, well that's still pretty, pretty bad. And I was like, I wonder if in the play there's more to it. And sure enough. And I looked it up and there was, um, but but I'm, maybe I'm the, okay maybe the that. fact that I was wondering right. shows that they actually did, you know, they, they put that seed in my, in my head. Right. And some of the dialogue, I don't know if it's called dialogue <laughs> lyrics, I guess yeah. later the book. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of the things said or sung later, I think also help bolster that read that yeah. clearly more than just kissing happened. Yeah. Okay. And I do think that's the thing is I also think there's just a general adult sensibility to the play that the film tried to remove. And I feel like that's a function of it being a Disney thing. And I, it just, well, this, it, I felt like the film seems like it's at war with itself a little bit. I see what you're saying, but I would, and this is getting into semantics. I don't think that they actually tried to remove it except, yeah, with certain things. We talk about the character who just doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like they tried to, I feel like they tried to, Rob Marshall and company tried to keep it, tried to keep that, but keep it under the surface for to get the four quadrant audience. And yeah, they were successful to varying <coughs> degrees. That's uh, so I don't I don't know that they uh, that it's right to say that 
um, they attempted to remove it altogether. I, I think it's there. I just think sometimes they're not ex- as successful. I would be fascinated to watch it with a, I'm going to say, 10-year-old um, and see what they think. Because it's not completely satisfying to me as an adult. I'd be interested if this is another Sideshow Bob situation where they tried to do this weird middle thing, yeah, not satisfying either audience. It's weird. I don't think of it as a kid's movie. I know it's like a PG-rated Disney Christmas released, right. release, but I feel like it it depends not only on you already being familiar with these fairy tales, yeah. but it also depends, I, I think thematically depends on you having the distance of adulthood from it. Oh, there's no question about it. But I feel like, I, and again, like this is... The the fact that they cut, but it's not a film for adults either. Like it's, I, I don't think it's a kid's film, but it certainly right. isn't. A, it is, it's not an adult film either. Otherwise they would have left this other stuff in. But you know, I, I think, I mean, sometimes you and I just are wrong about this stuff because we're not kids. Yeah. Because I think you had similar reservations about Fantastic Mr. Fox, but kids like that movie a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, all right. I'll move on to my next one. Um, speaking of, you've seen this movie. Uh, it's just a frustrating failure. Um, Fury. Yeah, uh, Which, you you disliked it more than I did, but I didn't like it that much. There were I, aspects to it that I liked, but not very many. Here's the thing. I disliked it in the sense that I felt so betrayed by the third act. And I mean, okay. especially the very end, you and I talked about. We won't yeah. go into what happens. But the third act in general just seems to depart from uh, from the story they were telling. Um, because the first two acts, I'm not saying they're great. I think they're... I think um, what's is it David uh, uh, Ayers? Is that the director? That sounds name? right. Yeah, David Ayers is I think blunt and clumsy, but at least the first two acts feel coherent and feel part of a single story that he's telling. Yes, and I, I think what he's the idea that he's saying is not is saying that war is hell, which is not you know that's trite. Yeah, but I think what he's really observing with Logan Lerman's character is if you spend enough time in hell. Will you become a demon? I yeah. think. Uh, and and I I really think that he's playing that through. Um, you know, you've got this guy who uh, goes from being unwilling to uh, pull the trigger yeah. um, at 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 people who are already shooting at him to a guy who is screaming fucking Nazis and mowing them down yeah. scores at a time. Um, and I, I liked that. I mean, it was very depressing. Yeah. Um, uh, but I liked that sort of, uh, that path the character was on, but then it turns into just sort of a standard, like hero, like, um, yeah, Leo I, Bravo type of thing. I was going to say, it seems like, like a Don Siegel movie, but like, uh, at the end, <laughs> but, if, but not even that, but if the movie ended with the tank is broken down. The SS battalion is marching toward the tank. Yeah. And then it fades to black and the title card up comes up and says they all died. It would be a much better movie. Yeah. And about 40 minutes shorter. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Cause it does a pretty good job of, I st- again, I still think it's uh, writing is pretty clunky, but it does a pretty yeah. good job of making sure that we're not really on board with these guys. They are not yeah. good guys. Even the, even the, like the, the, the Christian guy, he, you would think that because of his, you know, his uh, his beliefs that he would try to step in to certain situations and say, hey, that's enough. And he doesn't he doesn't partake, but he doesn't disapprove. He tends to just kind of hold himself at a remove, which some would say is kind of the same thing as partaking. And so uh, 
And yeah, and I like I like that too because he's been sort of he's been compromised by yeah. being in in war. Yeah, uh, and so I like all of that, but then it still turns them into this heroic brigade uh, at the end. It turns them into like the Dirty Dozen or yeah, something and, like and that. Just make it so implausible. And I know movies yeah. ask us to suspend disbelief. Yeah, um, but it's just ridiculous. Like that. Yeah, they, they, they couldn't do that. It's like I, I know I've never been a tank, uh, been part of a tank battalion or whatever. Wait, what? <laughs> and I've never been a tank, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it just it, like it, them being able to hold off that many Nazis just seems ridiculous. Yeah, and it's I will say this: I thought the film was gorgeous. I thought it was really beautiful. Um, I liked it specifically. I liked its use of color because it's a bit surreal at times. Um, so How do you yeah. Mean? Uh, just like the way it uses like very strong, like primary colors, like reds and oranges, like it go, it very much goes visually. I think it goes against a lot of what war movies have been ever since saving private Ryan, which is muted and desaturated. And this is a very saturated film, I think. Well, in some cases, I think you're right. There are things that pop. You're reminding me now that I completely forgotten about this, but there's something on the back of the tank that is, they never say what it is, but it's part of like, there's a. A bunch of supplies tied to the back of yeah, the tank. Yeah. And so they're driving through the their their tank is covered in mud. They're driving through these towns that have been reduced to rubble. Everything's gray and brown. And there's this bright hot pink thing on the back of the tank. Yeah. Do you remember that? I and actually I don't, don't remember. It's supposed to be that. like a tent or, a, or or something. Okay. But it's like this hot pink rectangle of fabric hmm. on the back of the tank. Um that really stood out to me. I'm glad yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. All right, what's next for you? Uh I will say inherent vice. Okay. Which I did not love. That's too bad. Um, I will say what everybody who's ever seen Inherent Vice has said. I need to see it again. (laughs) Um, I know people that love the movie and they're like, I got to see it again. Uh And then people like myself who didn't. I'm sure there are people out there that hate it. I don't know anybody that hates it. But like, um, but I feel like anybody who sees it is just like, okay, that that's done that's out of the way and now it's time to really explore um, so you're like you're like john Locke watching the swan orientation film absolutely right? absolutely <laughs> and this is and it makes yeah and it makes about as much sense to me <laughs> um yeah it's uh there's a lot of great things about it of course i think the acting is uniformly wonderful i think it's pretty well written um it's it, that's the thing i can't even really think of a f- of like major flaws with it except uh some of the pacing bothered me a little bit how so um, uh, just the i usually like a very i i enjoy a languid pace uh-huh. um but just the way in which it took its time um and maybe maybe the issue is that i was approaching it first and foremost as a comedy and i think it is but yeah. i have a certain expectation of of comedy pace comic pacing that the film i think you'd agree it does not adhere to comic pacing that's true um except the sequence i love the minute he goes into that building uh into like the the golden fang building with martin short just that whole thing partially because of the drugs that they're doing right it it suddenly picks it up and then it becomes manic and i love that that whole sequence. Yeah. And I love everything that's, that's Josh like Brolin. Wheel. I don't know how to drive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I love that. I love everything Josh Brolin. I think he's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and the two of them have a nice chemistry. Uh, so, again, like, approaching it as a comedy, I had certain expectations. But, of course, I should have recognized that, like, yeah, he's not going to do it this way. So, I think I need to see it again. I think I'll probably appreciate it more the second time. 
Okay. Uh, I already have talked about it and wrote about it on the website. Right. Um, I'll move on to another one that you have also seen. Uh, a Most Violent Year. Oh, yes. Okay. What'd you uh, think? I think I very much liked it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, um, like you said, with uh, with Fury, it's beautiful to look at. Bradford Young mm. killing it with two movies this year, this and Selma. Oh, okay. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, so this movie has Bradford Young behind the camera, and it has David Oyelowo and Alessandro Nivola yeah. in it. And same with Selma. <laughs> very strange um and i saw that well we talk about selma i saw them i saw them literally back-to-back nights oh nice um but uh well I, i'm not sure what to say about uh, a most violent year I'm, I'm i guess there are some movies that i'm glad i don't have to didn't have to write the review for because i yeah mine's coming up and i'm i'm i need more time uh, to think about what it what it means to me because there's a very surface level thing about um you know what it takes to achieve the American dream that I think got covered in a lot of movies in 2013 yeah. is a big thing. Um, and, uh, I think that's important, but there's clearly something else. There's more to it than that, but I'm not sure yeah. what it is yet. It feels, it feels very rich. Um, and it feels very, uh, very self-assured, um, in a way like, I feel like maybe we're seeing JC Shandor really come into his own. Yeah. Um, and it, it really, f- it, it flirts with being self-important, mm-hmm. I think, a lot. Yeah. Um, because there aren't a lot of laughs in it, you know, um, and it, uh, every scene seems to be pretty serious. Yeah. Um, but it's not dour either. Like there's a certain type of seriousness that can be just overwhelming. And this never struck me as that. Maybe because the character, I feel like the character is always moving. He's always acting. He's not just stewing. And if he was stewing in self-pity, I feel like the film would have a very different tone. I think that's that's uh, really important. Yeah. I'm glad we're talking about this because now I'm coming, to, like I said, I'm coming to terms with how, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. how I feel about the movie. Because I think uh, to go back to Bradford Young's uh, cinematography, it uh, a lot of times when movies are dour as you say they Mm -hmm. also feel sort of sterile or desaturated whereas this movie even though it takes place in sort of the you know a gray winter uh it feels so full it feels so organic Mm -hmm. and visceral you know it it, without it it doesn't have like a lot of you know uh fancy camera work in terms of movement most of the camera is pretty still uh but but texturally it feels like a real world and everyone's performance, uh, you know, uh, Oscar Isaac is a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I guess sensuous, uh, actor. Okay. You know, do you know what I mean? I do. I have a sense of what you mean. Yes. He's, he's very physical. even when he's not being physical, you know, oddly enough, you know, the word I was going to say as you were struggling tactile. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think both of those things apply. I mean, there's a scene, you mentioned him always doing things, but there's a, it's not a scene, there's a, a shot of him sitting on some boxes. Do you know yeah. the shot I'm talking yeah. about? Uh, and yeah, in a lesser movie, this would just be him like going, oh, what's going on with my life? Like, what have we come? Yeah. But that's not what you see. The camera's pushing in on him and you see him thinking about his yeah. next move. Things seem to be, he's at a place where he seems like his back's against the wall. Yeah. And he's just thinking and he never... He never. He very rarely seems to lose his temper in the movie, although he does. Yes, but very rarely. 
Um, but even in the chase scene, which is fantastic, by mm-hmm. the way, it's not something you think of as an action movie, yeah. but there's a long chase scene. Um, it, it doesn't feel, uh, it feels propulsive, but it never feels frantic. No. That, that scene, there's, um, the movie, like the character, always has the next goal in mind. Yeah. And so it has this momentum because of that. It's he's a little I'm reluctant to say this because, of course, there's a connotation associated with this, but he's almost like a shark. He has to keep moving. Otherwise, he will die. And he just has to keep moving forward, which is why. And I think the film takes its cues from him, which is why it never seems dour. It's very it's very propulsive character. And the film is very propulsive more than I ever expected knowing uh, going in. But I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's really good. You know, great performances all around. Um Albert Brooks. Yeah. Right? It was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, oh yeah, there's another thing that I really, that I noticed that happens a lot in the movie. There's, um, a lot of deceit and underhandedness going on behind the scenes, but in almost every case when a person is actually confronted, yeah, they come clean with the exception of the one guy that, um, it turns out is behind the, theft, you know, the, yeah. the, the thefts. Uh, he has to be, cajoled but there's a part at the end where uh, near the end it's not at the very end but near the end when oscar isaac says something to albert brooks like did you know about this and he just goes yeah i did yeah <laughs> and i love it i love and that sort of thing happens but there's a, a pretty pregnant pause beforehand yeah uh yeah it's a great performance and it's odd that you bring that up because i was reading some website i don't remember what it was might have been the dissolve um in which it was talking about like the best performances and it cites albert brooks as because the character's not showy no one's going to talk about him right but and they say that moment, like he does more with just the word yes, knowing fully what like what that means to yeah. both characters. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's it's really wonderful. All right, what's next for you? Uh next oh I forgot to put it on my list, but I'll say it now. Um The Hobbit. Oh, you mean the Battle of the Five Arms? That's the one. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> It's, okay, it, well, I, I'll, I'll remind you and the listener of what I said about it on the okay, previous movie, movie journal, is that it's the best of the Hobbit movies, mostly because it sets its sights lower. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. Um, and yet it's it's just like... Th- this whole trilogy is just such a shrug. <laughs> like, it's just... <laughs> with the exception of Martin Freeman, who... Is who turns in great work in all three, um, and he seems to really understand the. So he understands his character and he understands the tone that these should have been, um, but they're not. And what's and one thing that gets me is so the character of Thorin Oakenshield. Uh-huh. All right, so he's I'd say the second lead. One yeah. could make the argument he's the first lead because they don't do quite enough with the ho- the Hobbit of the title. But anyway. Um, so this is the shortest film of the three uh-huh. and son of a bitch. If I'm not thinking, you know, we could have used an extra five to 10 minutes <laughs> as a character who is a hero becomes a villain. Yeah. Like it's just, there's a part where Bilbo just says, oh yes, Thorin is this now. It it's like, we didn't like, see. It seems like it happened between the two films, like in the part that we didn't see. Yeah. But it didn't happen between the two films. It happened between like, Oh, the prologue or the yeah yeah. yeah. It ha- when the when the title Battle of the Five Army comes up, uh, Thorin is uh, having He's some trouble. The Lonely Mountain turned into a bad guy. Yeah, and it's just such. It's like 
really and it doesn't take much maybe even just th- a three minute scene of transition and i'll and i'll i'll buy it but it's just it's there's a couple there are a couple fights in there that i liked i like the the fights on the ice worked really well for me the fight on the crumbling bridge it, the crumbling, yeah the ice thing <laughs> i think um uh really show like it, there's so little of the peter jackson that we know in the movie yeah but there's the ice fight like is inventive yeah and also it i guess culminates in a way when, when there's an orc under the ice you you know what's going to happen yeah and yet it happens in a way that's, that still manages to surprise you that's really the work like of that. a horror director yeah like i had that thought i was like oh this is it's a little surreal it's kind of uh-huh. dreamy it's taking its time we all know what's going to happen right no eyes stay shut in a horror movie <laughs> um but uh, yeah but um I, li- I also like I also like Billy Connolly. Well, here's that. You know what I was going to say? I, I saw it with our friend Patrick, friend of the show, Patrick Starr. Okay. Um, and he's he said about Billy Connolly in, specific, in particular, he was like, it feels like he wasn't anywhere near the rest of the actors at any time. Oh, sure. I, I think that's a big failing of all three of these movies is just, yeah. you know, we talked about A Most Violent Year being tactile. The Hobbit movies are the opposite of that. They yeah. Lost any This of- does not feel like middle earth uh-huh. it yeah. feels like a different it's 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 more people have been comparing it to the star wars prequels it's not that it's more they're more skillfully made and i feel like everyone's more present but it's it certainly doesn't feel like the original uh, like the lord of the rings like so when when someone makes the three three and a half hour fan edit of oh i'll watch it you'll watch it because uh, when they do when they make the fan edit Bilbo's going to come to the forefront and he's the strongest part as he should be. And I will be, I'll be happy. And what character do you think we lose? I think twin, I think Legolas and, uh, Turiel aren't even in the fan. I think they're completely removed from it. Maybe they're, they're a little bit, uh, they're a little bit intertwined with the story, but I think you can, I think you can safely get rid of them. (laughs) I don't think we see Kate Blanchett at all. I I don't think we see, I don't, we don't see any Saruman. We wouldn't see a lot of Gandalf. Right. We wouldn't see any Sauron. We wouldn't like, there's, there's a lot of characters that we won't see, uh, in, in that fan edit, which I cannot wait to watch. <laughs> I so. don't know that I will watch it because I still feel like I respect directors too much to, to do that. I respect um, directors that respect themselves. <laughs> oh, so it's, uh, it's up to you. You make yeah. the call. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, we've arrived at um, my current favorite film of 2014, Ava okay. uh, DuVernay's Selma, um, which I said is also shot by Bradford Young and has David Oyelowo and uh, in a very small role, Alessandro, Alessandro Nivola. Mm-hmm. You ever, so you, when I say Alessandro Nivola, you know who that is? Yes. Okay. I never saw Junebug. Okay. And I think that's what, uh, according to my wife at least, that's what she knew him from. But when I looked at his, after I saw A Most Violent Year, and he's great in A Most Violent Year. Yes. Um, I looked him up, and I was because I was like, I know I recognize that guy. And it was one of those things that you have every once in a while where you realize, like, I'm scrolling things. It's, uh, it's like, so I've seen this guy in a bunch of stuff, but nothing. This is just the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, yeah. Most Violent Year is the movie where now I know who Alessandro, Alessandro Nivola is. I think I knew... I might not have known his name because I don't think at the time I was thinking and, uh, you know, I was taking note of people's names, but uh, Face Off. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen that in a long In which time. he plays Nicolas Cage's younger brother. Yeah, yeah. I remember, um, yeah, I remember that now, but, um, yeah, I 
don't remember that sticking out at the time. But uh, that's not the point here. The point here is, is Selma, which I think is being unfairly characterized as a Martin Luther King Jr. biopic. Um, it has more of him than any other character. Mm-hmm. But it's about the march, you know, the leading it, the 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 time leading up to the march from Selma yeah. to Montgomery and um, what was going on in Alabama and what uh, it took um, and what it cost people in Selma to organize this. And Martin Luther King is clearly the, the leader of it, but it's, uh, it's closer to an ensemble piece than I think people are giving it credit for. Let me ask you this. Cause as I was reading about it, the first thought I had was, Oh, Lincoln, it's uh-huh. like the movie Lincoln, which is called Lincoln, but and he, if there is a lead, I guess it's him, but it couldn't be more ensemble. And it's more about all the strategy required to pass this thing. The, yeah, and this sounds like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, uh, I, I enjoy Lincoln a lot, uh, in, in a sort of, um, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's, it's a cheaper thrill for me, Lincoln. I think it's a very well done movie, but I mostly yes. just like the, uh, as much as it seems weird to talk about a movie like this in this sense, I like the fun of Lincoln. Lincoln. The dialogue is bouncy and jumpy. The editing is very smooth. It's Lincoln surprisingly is very watchable. Watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've watched it multiple times. Um, this is better than that um, because it it does. It, it, let's say we do think of it as a biopic. It's uh, or let's compare it to the Imitation Game. Did you see okay. the Imitation? I did game? not. Yeah. Okay. Um, because the imitation game is also not a picture of Alan Turing's life. Right. It's mostly about him cracking the Enigma code. And then it has, um, I guess, sort of a more than a book, but a sort of framing device of, uh, if, you know, a decade or two down the down the line. Um, but uh, Selma manages because it's so honest. It manages to be incredibly emotional without ever being manipulative or sappy. Right. Um, which oftentimes I. You know, I talked about a movie like If I Stay earlier this year. Yeah. Um, which I know we keep talking about the AV Club, but they called it one of the worst movies of the year. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it that low, but it's not a very good movie. I had a very strong emotional response because I'm supposed to. That's what it's going for. It's pulling right. all the strings, but it doesn't right. mean I thought it was good. And usually when a movie has me have that kind of response, I'm a little suspicious of it. Yeah. Um, Selma had me, you know, I was all welled up and I was all, you know, very emotional the entire time I watched Selma, but I never felt manipulated i never felt like i was being which is an achievement already when you're making a movie about martin luther king who has not actually been he hasn't been dramatized very much yeah and i think that part of that is because the king family has been so protective of that's true and i think um this the movie i I don't want to dwell on this but it comes up the idea of martin luther king jr's infidelities right that has been talked about a lot and is part of the reason that Reportedly, some of the reason that the King family has passed on other biopics because mm. they didn't want to include that. Um, and I think um, there will be people who will say that Selma skirts it um, because it only does give one scene uh, over to that and even then in an off screen type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very important scene <clears throat> about um, Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King's marriage that's, I think, very fair to both of them. Um, and is ultimately unambiguous. So I, I think it did its job in addressing that. 
uh, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just okay. maybe I'm addressing a straw man here, and no one's actually making that complaint. But I guess I anticipated it when I saw the movie, hmm. um, because when you you know when something like um, Get On Up from earlier this year, uh, you know, it was also did catch flack for people saying that they skirted James Brown's domestic violence and stuff like that. And uh, I don't think they did. I think you don't need it ladled on. I think you can. People can understand if you have one scene that should be if the scene is done right, it should inform the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's 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 this idea of the warts and all biopic. And I know Selma's not a biopic, but like um, this idea of like we need to show, you know what? We're not here to just show how awesome this person is. We're here to do that. And and they will often wind up doing the exact opposite. And we wind up forgetting every good like the reason we're watching a movie about a person. Right. Um and uh and before warts only yeah just warts only like and just uh the uh the film um gainsburg about serge gainsburg uh i was vaguely aware of his music uh and the film should celebrate his music while also acknowledging that he was also kind of an asshole uh so that we have an idea of like oh wow how can so bad a person make such great music how is that like that's what we should be coming away with but I don't know. I think they, there's a lot of films that just sort of take for granted, like, well, they already know this stuff, so let's show this other stuff. Right. right. So, like, by showing, by, by acknowledging, yeah, there are infidelities, but we don't know who he is because of in, of his infidelities. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I said I didn't want to get hung up on this, but um, we, we both did here. Um, uh, what I really want to address is... And I, I addressed this at length in my review. It pretty much took up the bulk of my review. Um... <coughs> the the parallels to things that have happened recently in Ferguson and in New York City. It's weird, that, right? That it obviously couldn't have been planned. Yeah. Um, and you could, yeah, you can look at it and say, what a coincidence. Or you can say, maybe this just happens because not as much has changed as we think it has. Um, which is how I, how I read the movie, but not in a cynical way. Mm-hmm. Because the movie, uh, while being very honest about th- how awful and ugly people can be in denying rights to other people based on their skin color um or to you know know, um of the you know the people who get the activists the the three activists who get killed in the movie two Mm -hmm. of them are white yeah that's based on uh you know the the, that's that's true (laughs) yeah uh the way that some people can be not just to not just to people because of their skin color, but to anyone else who disagrees with them or tries to help these people, right. it's very, the movie is very blunt about that, but is also very hopeful. You know, it, it, it ends with the speech, you know, in Montgomery and the quotation of the, uh, uh, his truth is marching on and yeah. hallelujah. And like, it's a, it's an uplifting ending, yeah. even though it also has the coda that says, you know, I said, when I say three people are murdered, the third one is off screen. It's one of those like, animal house endings where it's like, here's yeah. what happened to each person. And it's like, this person was murdered five hours later, yeah. uh, which is incredibly powerful. But I think, uh, I still think of the movie as being overly, uh, uh, not overly overall, uh, very hopeful. And that's part of why I had such an emotional response to it. Well, it, it, it speaks to what we were talking about with the most violent year is there are films that just will show the ugly side of humanity. And there's certainly plenty to show, but then, the 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 question is then okay now what and i'm not talking about movies that get you angry 
and then leave you because that anger is can, is still kind of an active thing. Um, but just I feel like if a movie's going to really delve into this, especially like a real life thing, I feel like it the most effective ones are the ones that say, "What do we do with this?" You know, and of course, this is this sh- this is a movie that shows having not seen it. It's a film that shows people who who obviously like this affects me. So obviously, I'm going to make this choice. But there are other people and it who could have sat back, but don't. Right, right, right. And so that I feel like by telling this particular story, yeah. it's like challenging like the the audience members who frankly are never going to be touched by this. Um. To, to do something. It also, and I don't know why I didn't bring this up before, I can't wait to hear you talk about it, and you maybe even talk about it on more than one lesson, because mm-hmm. it's a movie that doesn't... Martin Luther King wasn't just a civil rights le- leader, he was a religious Christian right. civil rights leader, and that was a huge part of it. And most of the white people who came to Selma to help him mm-hmm. were members of the clergy or Christians. Yeah. And it does not... It doesn't shy away from that. Uh, I, uh, I really respected that, and I would like to get your point of view on that once you see it. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Um, do you have more? I've got two more. Oh, good. Okay. Um, all right. And one we talked about at length already, which is Citizen Four. Okay. Which I loved. I'm so glad. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, there's one, I've got the slightest bit of quibble with one little moment. Okay. And it's just, and it's so small, it doesn't matter. Um, it's, but the rest of it, it is... What? I hope it's not the moment when, uh, while Edward Snowden is about to go appear on television for the first time, he's wrestling with a stubborn cowlick in his hair. No, <laughs> not a, at all. It's one of my fa- it's favorite parts of the yeah. movie. It's like, yeah. it's a documentary. They didn't, no one wrote that. Yeah. So it's, it's like incredibly humanizing and sort of ironically funny yeah. that he's like worried with that he can't get his hair to lay down. No, there, my problem is that there's, because <clears throat> occasionally there's text on screen in which the director is ta- is ex- explaining stuff to us. And at one point she says, I realized I was being followed, so I couldn't go. And it's just like... Uh, how did you realize that? And, like, I feel like... See, I think by that point in the movie, my skepticism on that sort of thing was gone. After we've learned just how extensive the surveillance can be, at that if point she, I'm willing if she to take hit- her... If she had been more of a character, I would have been more on board with it. Okay. But as it is, it's, it looks it looked just, again, just a, a wisp of a feeling. It just looks like somebody trying to make themselves more important. And, of course, I know they're important. He contacted her. Yeah. Like, I know that. Free- but just for – it just – even if she just said, like, I – it's like, I, I thought like I was being followed. I felt like I was being followed. I – I like I would take yeah. it, okay. but anyway, I do think that, it's a minor thing. That's it's it's so minor. <laughs> I didn't even want to say it. Were you distracted by the fact that Edward Snowden kind of looks like friend of the show Jason Eakin? <laughs> well, I am now. <laughs> I saw it with Jason, and I'm sure the whole time he's like, "What? What?" Um, no, I was distracted. <sighs> I was distracted by something, and it's horrible. Which oh. is my job. Okay is um is such where i clean up photos and make people look better than people look uh-huh. and uh edward Snowden happens to have a mole that was very <laughs> distracting to me 
I, by the way, this happens with everything. When I look in the mirror, I'm like, man, I wish I could just clone out the wrinkles on my forehead or something <laughs> like that. <clears throat> but anyway, that's, and of course that's, look, that's not the film's fault. I'm just saying they probably could have put some uh, makeup on it. Um, I'm joking by the way. Uh, no, the film is absolutely fantastic. And when I, th- and it makes me hate that fucking Orson Welles documentary all the more. <laughs> when you realize what a documentary can be, the kind, if, and admittedly, not everybody gets this kind of access, but like when I look at this or capturing the Freedmans mm-hmm. or any of these other things where it's not just talking heads, even though there's a lot of talking heads in the film, um, it's just, you're right there. Like we all, we all know who Edward Snowden is. We know our side and now we're seeing his side, but not in retrospect. Like we all know, like we were, we all saw the story break. Yeah. And now we're seeing that from the other side. Like how weird would it be that, that like, for example, we saw the, the interview, the official interview. Uh And in this, we see him, getting ready for that interview. Yeah, like, yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's just, so just from a filmmaking standpoint, it's just so, it's just so, pre- I, I was just so present at every moment of it. But also, uh, I thought the film was remarkably important. And by the way, there is at some point, I would like to do an episode about this, but I'm reluctant to do so because people know my politics and, and it, but it's, this is not driven by that. Okay. But Films are a reflection of the culture, and there are certainly plenty of films that reflected the culture of George W. Bush. It's been six years now, I'm, and I think probably in the last year or two, there are now movies coming out that are showing about that are showing the culture of the Obama administration and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm of the opinion that even films that are critical of the current climate economically or whatever uh they tend to hold back on blame whereas of course movies made about george w bush have plenty of blame but um but this is not a film that holds back on blame i I like that i i love it and not because but just because like at the end where a character uh, sorry he's not a character he's a real he's kind of a character that that glenn greenwald but uh where he's writing stuff down and showing it to edward snowden and some of oh, it we yeah. see some of it we don't but then the stuff that we do see is so powerful yeah like this is a film that doesn't shy away from yeah from stuff uh from from like the realities that like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if 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 you're democrat republican or whatever when you when your president is doing these things yeah. and you're like this is not correct this is not a thing that should happen yeah. especially when it's somebody who as they may as they say early on came into office promising to be the most transparent and that they were going to undo all the stuff that the previous administration did yeah i don't know uh, we talked about when we talked about citizen 4 on the last movie. Journal. Yeah, I'm sorry I'm spending um, so much time on no, it. No, that's okay, because uh, I, I love it. But uh, the the way that she, uh, Laura Poitras, I think, um, cuts, the time that she chooses to cut to President Obama saying Edward Snowden is not a patriot, yeah. I don't know that I've, I don't think I've ever been as angry at President Obama yeah. as I am in that, in that moment. Um, but as far as why, the, uh, to address your point is why there's less blame, I think it's um, both President uh, Bush and President Obama have very strong cults of personality, but they're mm-hmm. very different styles of yeah. cults of personality. And I think that's just, I think that's just what it is. I, th- I think, um, 
apart from politics, just as a person, President Bush was maybe more divisive. Whereas I think President Obama is generally genial and likable to the point to the part where his opponents, I think focus more on his policy, which I think is good. Mm -hmm. But I think a byproduct of that is that you're not getting that much direct blame, like as you were with, with president Bush. It is. And and I also do think that there is, I I apologize, everybody. I'm not going to talk about, I don't like talking about liberal bias. I do think there's bias in everything, but you, you look at Saturday Night Live's depiction of President Obama until recently. I'd have to watch. I don't watch. Yeah, I know. But, I'm uh, not 12 years old. I don't watch Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just like stuff like that to the point where I remember uh, a couple years into the into the uh, uh, I think it was like 2009 or 10. John Stewart made a joke. People didn't laugh. And he said, you know, it's OK to make fun of him. Right. <laughs> Which I thought was very powerful and very telling. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Again, I'm sorry that I didn't mean to get overtly political, but such is the nature of the film. Like, well, it's... let's go from one extreme to the next. Okay. Um, and also from having talked about my favorite film of 2014 to possibly my least favorite film of 2014. Oh, how very exciting. Clint Eastwood's American Sniper. Oh, okay. It All right. Is, I, which I still haven't seen. It is. And the thing is, I think when I say, you know, we talked about on the, uh, an upcoming main episode mm -hmm. we glanced on the idea of the difference between favorite and best yeah um and how they often can be one and the same but least favorite and worst i think is a little bit uh a little bit trickier yeah because clint eastwood's a good director yeah bradley cooper is i think a better actor even than he gets credit for i'm a huge bradley cooper fan mm -hmm. um and have been for quite a while and everyone is like they're doing great jobs and there are a lot of interesting things about American Sniper. But overall, it <coughs> so resists wanting to question what Chris Kyle did. Chris Kyle is the subject. He was a real person. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, had more. He's the sniper with more confirmed kills than in American history than any uh, other military sniper. That's his sort of claim to fame. But also... Uh, after his uh, after he left Iraq and he he did a lot of extensive charity work with veterans, mm -hmm. um, you know, recovering veterans, wounded warriors, that sort of thing. Um, uh, there's so much about him that is so respectable, and he's clearly, uh, you know, in the certain definition of the word, he is an American hero. He, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he, yeah, he killed a lot of people, but he saved a lot of lives doing it. Yeah. Now, what I just said, I view that as a sort of dichotomy. Like that's something to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, like I said, uh, uh, I don't know what's going on. Uh, my, we're, we're right above my neighbor's garage. And so they tend to slam okay. their door. Um, there's, I've talked about this as many times as possible in multiple platforms. My favorite line in a movie in 2014 oh. <laughs> is in Calvary. Did you see it yet? Not yet. Where Brendan Gleeson says to someone, fittingly in this case, to someone who comes to him, Brendan Gleeson plays a priest, someone mm -hmm. in the small Irish town comes to him saying that he's thinking about joining the army. And one of the things Brendan Gleeson says is, the commandment thou shalt not kill does not have an asterisk next to it referring you to the bottom of the page where there's a list of instances where it's okay to kill people. Mm -hmm. Is my favorite line in the entire, yeah. in the, in the entire year of cinema. Um, and I think American Sniper almost bullheadedly refuses to engage with that mm -hmm. it 
it so does it now it 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 flirts with engaging with uh post-traumatic stress disorder yeah and um you know the uh him readjusting it has have more scenes of that than the hurt locker did uh you know um but i think it just ultimately can't it can't even allow itself to really question what chris kyle did that disappoints me because but i'll say this oh, sorry. friend of the show scott knight disagrees with me not that he loved the movie but we mm-hmm. got into a big discussion about this he thinks the movie does have that in it and trust the audience to, to okay. see that. So see it for yourself and decide. Okay. But I felt, I, I felt kind of uh, insulted by the way that it doesn't question. It, 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 it doesn't say that Iraq was a good war. Right. It, 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 you know, it clearly says that a lot of horrible things happened to people. A lot of people were, were killed. And it, even those who survived were either, you know, uh, wounded physically or mentally or both. Right. But at the end of the day, as much as I hate that phrase, um, it can't bring itself to not say that Iraq, that it was worthwhile. Uh, and, right. And I, I just find it, I find that it's closed off to a certain line of intellectual questioning um, in a way that's almost stubborn and unforgivable to me. And that's why it's like at the bottom of my list for the year. Well, you know what's interesting about that is that uh, the trailer for American Sniper, which is all I've seen at this point. Which was, is almost entirely just the opening scene of the movie, yeah. by the way. And what I liked about it is that it promised a very specific – it promised this idea of, of like a certain degree of ambiguity. Because when you think about it, almost any soldier that, that goes into a, a war – and even stuff like the Hurt Locker, you know the thing you have to do. Mm-hmm. It's like, and in the moment, it's very clear. Snipers, they have to make judgment calls. Yeah. And so that trailer, it's like, what if I make the wrong one? You know? And that's how, and the, it, that's and it how sounds, the movie starts. And yeah, it, it, and it doesn't uh, do it. In my the, opinion, it doesn't engage with that question beyond <clears throat> beyond that first scene. I think, you know, once he makes... A decision in that uh scene. although to it, the trailer is a cut down version of the first scene it's a little longer yeah but that scene in the at the beginning ends at the same place it ends in the trailer and then you revisit it later and you okay. see the rest of it play out um but once so it's not like it's right at the beginning but once you get back to that scene and you see which decision he makes it's then it, it almost treats it like well that's resolved the movie, you know, mm. and it, which is the same problem I have with near the end with the post-traumatic stress disorder, which it never calls that. So I feel I don't want to act like I'm a psychologist. and I'm diagnosing Chris Kyle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> be via someone else playing him. Like <laughs> I'm not saying it's but whatever it is, it's, I think, way too simplistic. With Like he goes to one therapy session and then starts doing charity work. And then it seems like he's kind of OK. And I found mm-hmm. that depressing. Again, friend of the show, Scott and I, not just. I just front of the show, part of the BP family, yeah. uh, uh, editor at large at the website. Um, he disagrees with me, so I'm not the, you know, the final word on this movie. But I really disliked it. Okay, what you had one more? I have one more. I have two more, and I do not remember the name of the uh, director, uh, unfortunately. But it's a movie I saw just last night, which is Lock with uh, Tom Hardy. Uh, do you? What do you know about this movie? It's mostly just him in a car, or is it uh, entirely? It him is in entirely car? him in a car. Um, there are other characters that he, that we hear on the Bluetooth, um, but we never see them. So the only character we ever see is his. 
director's name is Stephen Knight. Stephen Knight. Okay. And so um, the film is, as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, an actor's showcase. And I previously have not had the highest opinion of Tom Hardy. I think he's been very good, very serviceable. But I tended to view him in the same way that I view like a a Sean Penn and that like he has an intensity that I feel like is – kind of keeps me at a distance because it felt like it, it felt like he was uh, working too hard. But then I also realized that the nature of the characters that I've seen him play are just, they're just intense characters and stuff. So with a film like this, I, I found myself thinking like, uh, I could see myself not really embracing his performance. That was not the case. Uh, he is great as it's, it's a really great performance because he makes some very specific decisions uh, and choices about who this guy is and how he presents himself as opposed to how he actually is or what's going on inside. And so, uh, you know, it's it's I feel bad jumping immediately just to the lead performance. But with a movie like this, it's really all you can do, uh, except that it is also shot in a in a very interesting way. I'm not sure if I'm completely behind how it was shot all the time because there's this swirling aspect of it where like as he's just driving along the freeway you know you're seeing buildings go by you're seeing other cars go by and the way that it's you know sometimes it you know it often will cut away to to stuff that he is seeing then it'll cut back to him sometimes you'll see a reflection of a building and as we're looking at him and so it's doing a lot of this stuff um in order to make sure that the film never becomes visually boring and mission accomplished it never becomes visually boring Sometimes it's only 85 this, minutes long. <clears throat> yeah, which is as it should be for <laughs> something of that length. Um, but uh, <coughs> and I think it is remarkably well written. There are a couple of things where, for lack of a better term, I can kind of see the strings, which is oh they you know they wanted to keep this in the car and they want to have they want this character and his relationship to other characters they want it to have a clear arc. And it's like all right, well. The story you've given us is not going to be resolved in this way in 85 minutes. It's just – it's not possible emotionally for this to be the case. Um, and so – but that's that's actually kind of a small quibble. By and large, I think it's a very, very, very good movie with a great lead performance. And, uh, and it winds up being an interesting exploration of what you can do with – what you can do with editing and a camera to make something that could be the most static thing in the world be actually very complex and, and actually cinematic. So I, I thought it was very good. I, th- um, I think you would like it. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's, hey, it's only 85 minutes. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Um, all right. Uh, I want to talk about Angelina Jolie's Unbroken. Okay. Um, it's not, it's, it's not awful. Okay. But, uh, you know, you talked about, uh, what was it? You were talking about uh, way earlier in this episode. This has gone on for quite a while. Um, you were talking about Exodus, Gods and Kings. You compared it to Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. And I think Unbroken would have been a much better film if it had taken more cues from Lawrence of Arabia. I I often complain about movies being too long, and this one's almost two hours and 20 minutes long. Yeah. Um, but I think it could stand to be longer. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Lawrence of Arabia is that other than the bookends yeah it's completely chronological Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas this does the thing of you know starting in the middle of the action and then you get 
you get flashbacks to his yeah. upbringing and it seems like it's a way you know it, uh, i mean it's i i can see that it works in some movies but here it just felt like it was a cheat to try and to start with world war ii stuff and keep it in world war ii while still having his childhood in torrance um but do you feel like that's i'm sorry to to interrupt do you feel like that is a fairly like let's say the last 10 to 20 years is that just how biopics are made now I don't know. I mean, like I can, in some I mean, ways, I like, like I, I mentioned Get On Up before, which doesn't even do it. Get On Up just is completely like, like, um, what's his name in Slaughterhouse Five? It's just unstuck in time. Okay. Get On Up just jumps around all over the place, and I really yeah. like that. Um, but there, I, I think there's a certain way that it's done in which it feels um, like you're. Uh, you know, hiding the vegetables and applesauce or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's just, it's, I mean, the way you described American Sniper and then just the way uh, I talked about like the Gainsbourg film and just other biopics I've seen, it always seems to start almost like they're trying to show like the character or the person, you know, reflecting back on what brought them to this point. And part of me is like, I want like, how interesting would it be if uh, somebody made a biopic that uh, starts at the beginning and ends at the end. <laughs> yeah. Like, that'd be very novel at this point. Um, and I would have liked that for a couple reasons. One we'll get to later. But the main thing that I want to compare it to Lawrence of Arabia is that Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence does, goes through all these things over the course of the three and a half hours. Um, and a lot of them are incredibly broad and cinematic and action-packed. But the movie is, it never loses sight of Lawrence and trying to figure out his brain. I don't know... Mm-hmm like an episode of battleship pretension i don't know that it ever does figure out who lawrence is that's no, kind I, of the yeah that's who kind are of the point but angelina jolie doesn't seem interested hmm. it's about it's basically she's just saying isn't it amazing all the stuff this guy went through and that he got through it but even though he's the focus of the film it doesn't seem interested at all the movie doesn't seem interested at all in what's really going on in his <coughs> in his brain and what's really interesting is that it also stops at the end of the war um except for like a you know some text on screen and a some real life footage of him uh, later in life uh but the text on screen is like that's a that should be the fourth act of that should be the next act of the movie yeah he like, becomes an abusive drunk and then become and then i believe becomes a christian well he um while he's stranded at sea he promises god that if he gets through this he'll devote his life to him okay um and yeah, after the war, immediately after the war, did not. Yeah. And then eventually did, became um, a devout Christian and went back to Japan to meet with the people who tortured him and yeah. forgive them personally. Uh, unbelievable. And that's yeah. just text on screen. Like, to me, if this had been like a three and a half hour contemplative sweeping, you know, Roger Deakins shot the thing. It's yeah. amazing. It's beautiful to look at. Um, if it had been that sort of uh, a Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence of Arabia type art epic. Uh, it could have been fantastic. That was my worry when I first heard that because that that book has been floating around uh, uh, for a while, and I know well, people book, that that the book read is it. And fairly stuff. recent, yeah. but apparently Universal <laughs> had the rights to Louis Zamperini, Zamperelli or Zamperini. I can't remember his had the rights to his story in 1957. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it's just, and so, but knowing the story as I did, I mean, part of me just thought like, oh, the domestic thing is interesting too. And I was like, I'll, mm, 
if somebody's going to make a story about this, uh, going to make a movie about this guy's story, I bet they will stick to the. Admittedly, the ama- There's a, a lot of amazing parts to it, but just like yeah, but the. It, this was my problem with Twelve Years a Slave. Uh-huh. Like, once he's no longer a slave, the movie's over, and then it says he then devoted his life to uh, fighting slavery. And I was like, I would love to see a black man in the North fighting slavery and then dying under suspicious circumstances. Like you've got more movie here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but the part that is like, quote unquote, the most interesting is over. So I guess you're done. It just, it bothers me a lot. Um, but I will say that, um, Jack O'Connell is great. And the part when it's just, so, you know, p- before he was in the POW camp, he was at sea for 45 days or something. Yeah. And that's a long section of the movie. That's just, Jack O'Connell, Domino Gleason, and Finn Whitrock, and they're yeah. great. They're, it, it's great acting. That's that's the highlight of the movie. The Lost at Sea part is the absolute best part of the movie. Yeah, and I mean the opening, um, the opening. Uh, I don't know what you call it. Firefight, dogfight, whatever the mm. you know dog planes, fight, yeah, yeah. planes in the air shooting at each other, um, which is shot um, almost entirely from inside the plane. You don't get a lot of shots of like. You know, you're almost seeing, no. and so and you're seeing the various people do their different jobs, and it's a really sort of, even though it's an action-packed thing, it has a really sort of calm pace to it because you see these guys just sort of, uh, yeah, this is tense and everything, but they are doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually really cool. I didn't, yeah. and I it it started the movie in a way that I was like, oh, this might be really good. Yeah, uh, I saw Angelina Jolie's first film in the Land of Blood and Honey. I know it's the. The review on our website that has the most comments of any other oh, review. That's, that's right. And will probably not be eclipsed anytime soon. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, the most comments that have nothing to do with the film, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and that's a competently made film. And I and even though people – like nobody says that Unbroken is bad. They just say it could have been more. And But they say that it's gorgeous and that, uh, that some of the uh, – I feel it sounds wrong saying action, but uh, you know yeah. the dogfight part is really exciting as it yeah. should be, but also kind of scary and it's, I mean that, and that's the only real action scene in the movie. Yeah, right at the beginning there. So, uh, was there anything else? Yeah, that you one seen? more. Okay, um, yeah. I don't have much to say about it because it's not very good. David Dobkins, the judge. Oh, okay, um, which is <coughs> I mean, it, it's beyond not good. It's really stupid. Okay, um, I mean it's shot by Janusz Kaminski. Um, who's done, you know, does almost all of Steven Spielberg's stuff and mm-hmm. is a, I think he's won multiple Academy Awards. I don't want, I don't know about that, <laughs> but I know he's been nominated a lot. Uh, he definitely won for Saving Private Ryan. I don't okay. remember if he's won for anything else. Schindler's List? Did he win for that? He, I don't think he was working with Spielberg at that point. No, he shot Schindler's List. He I shot think, Schindler's I List? I think that was his first one. Okay. that was the all first right. one he did with if it. If that's the case, then yes. Um, uh, now you're going to look up and tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, 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 but, I'm, I'm pretty sure he shot Shannon's list. Anyway, here we are talking about Downers Kaminsky because maybe it's only it. But even he, I think, has all the character removed from his work in The Judge, which is just such a mess. It's this, uh, it's this completely pointless, centerless story that's nearly two and a half hours long. I don't know if you knew that. I did know that. Yes, it's crazy how long it is. Um, and it, you know, it has good actors, uh, in it doing okay work. Um, I'm not the biggest Robert Downey Jr. fan, but, uh, Robert Duvall and Vincent D'Onofrio are both, uh, really good. Yeah. Um, but it, it just, it doesn't know what it, the story is that it's telling it because it 
goes from being this sort of uh, hard-nosed look at taking care of your sick, ailing father to being a completely <coughs> preposterous thing where they're playing out fam- family dramas in front of the entire jur- journey- jury during it, like when he puts his dad on the stand, you know? Oh. They're talking about stuff. Like he lit- There's a line in the trailer, I don't know if you've seen the trailer. Uh, yes, but I, not for a while. But there's a line where you hear, you don't see the scene, it's like playing against other things. Because I watched the trailer after I saw the movie, where you hear Robert Downey Jr. say to Robert Duvall, his father, he says, I have memories of you, and then I don't. Why is that? That takes place in the courtroom. He says that to his dad on the stand in front of the jury. It's ridiculous. It's so stupid. It also, in that context, it's just like, yes, sir, uh, I have memories of you. Like, it's not a very lawyerly question. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and there's also, I don't want to go into detail on this because I guess it would be a spoiler for people who care, but there is some incestuous stuff that happens in the movie, which it doesn't seem to... The movie doesn't seem to realize it's as big a deal as it is. Um, I'll tell you about it off mic. Yeah, please uh, do. It's ridiculous. Um, uh, you know, in oh god, at one point, Robert Downey Jr. makes out with Leighton Meester from Gossip Girl. Okay, and it's like, is no one saying this is like this guy's about a million years old and she's about twenty four? Like, if I made out with someone Leighton Meester's age, it would be a little bit weird. Like. You know, I mean, I think if you by the the standard rule of half your age plus seven, I guess that's safe. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, it'd still be a little weird. Like she's still a, that's a little young for me. But he's like sixty or however old Robert Downey Jr. is. He's <laughs> and, uh, and it's like he's like grabbing Leighton Meester's ass, <coughs> and I'm completely grossed out by it. And I the movie just doesn't seem to realize that's weird. Anyway. Um, Let me ask you this. There's is, so many I, things that are wrong with it. You this. said Robert Duvall and Vincent D'Onofrio are good, and that's yeah. actually why I wanted to see the film, is Robert Duvall being my favorite actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's getting a lot of awards buzz. It's kind of assumed he will be nominated for a supporting actor for it. Okay. Um, do you think he deserves it? Because other reviews said that he's, he's great, just kind yeah. of doing his usual thing. No, I think he's great. Okay. I mean, his usual thing is being great. That's but, true. I guess that's true. Uh, no, he's... He, we've talked about him before that he can find things in the worst movie, you know, to make yeah uh, to make his character interesting. Um, okay, and uh, yeah, I, no, I think he's good, and I wouldn't be. Uh, I guess so. If I'm a Duval fan, does I that mean it. I have to watch the Judge? I, I think you should probably watch it. All right, and then we can talk about some of the <clears throat> ridiculous stuff that happens. In Fair it. enough. Um, okay, um, that's it. That catches us up, I think. All right. uh, So we'll do another one of these as soon as we get a chance. Uh, Thanks. Bye.